Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Father, teach us today, as the Apostle Paul has shown us, when we receive the great truths of you, we should petition you that our poor, feeble minds can grasp the magnitude and the majesty of what your holy book has showed us. So, Father, I beseech your throne in humble adoration, with a heart of thanksgiving that you have allowed us to possess your word, Father, you have allowed us to read your word. Father, you have allowed us to be overwhelmed by your word. Now, Father, I pray for each person here that we would hear your word and have great confidence and courage in these strange times. In the word of God, help us, Father, to walk worthy of this high calling. But, Father, help us to understand the power and the resources that are available to every child of God. In Christ's name, amen. We've moved into chapter 2. We came out of chapter 1, which is an amazing text just in and of itself. It's it's overwhelming. We've seen in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, the plan in the past that is being fleshed out in the believers today. But yet here in verse 15, you see, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith that you had in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I, I think that we as Christians at times, I, I don't know if we take it for granted or uh, we are complacent or perhaps we are just sinning. And, and, I, and what I mean by I have the word of God, you know, I've got what, three Bibles sitting on my desk. I've got one at my table uh, where my chair is in the living room and I've got one at the table in my bed okay 
and I read it. That book is useless laying there. You know, you can't even put that underneath your pillow and gain anything. You have to read it. And people say, well, you just don't understand. Then get a CD and stick it in your car or CD player where they just read it over and over and over again. Because you're looking into the mind of God when you are in the scriptures. He is the creator of history. He is the creator of the future. It would really be a good idea if we would kind of pay attention. And yet, I look at it and I watch and, and it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. People can spout something out and claim that it's scripture and nobody says, well, that ain't in the Bible. And that just tells me that you're susceptible. And yet, even as a pastor, I understand. I've had people ask me, all right, what is the most valuable tool in your studies that you have? Prayer. Prayer drives me to the word. The word drives me to prayer. It's that simple. Okay, there's other stuff out there. But if you haven't got that foundation, I don't care what you're doing. I, there's there's a lot of people reading books about the Bible. But does it hold up to it? And that's, you know, I just had this discussion this week with a wonderful soul. And they were expressing to me the flourishing of spiritual gifts in their church. Which I know exactly what that means. We're allowed to act goofy and blame it on the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, I have a question. And he said, what's that? What do you do with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1? What's that? You might want to go read that. Because you can sit around and tell me all day long about spiritual gifts, but chapter 12, verse 1 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And that's one of my subtle ways of saying, right. <laughs> okay? And you know, people ask me, do you, yeah, I'm gifted. There's no doubt in my mind. Because I got news for you. There's no way I would do this without supernatural intervention. I'm smart enough to know that teachers will be judged harsher. And why would anybody want to be a teacher? But see, I'm one of them crazy people who... I, it's a badge of honor. I remember a lady that I used to work with when I worked for the town of Castle Rock. She looked at me one time. She put her hands on her hip and gave me this scowl and says... You're starting to sound like a Bible thumper. I was like, I've arrived. <laughs> I made it. I made it. Okay. And the reason that I share all of that is because too many in the body of Christ right now do not understand that they are alive in Christ. And I know that because... You can listen to people's prayers. What are they praying for? 
I, I used to know a kid. I don't even know what happened to him. But he always, whenever he saw me, he says, I need you to pray for something. I was like, what's that? He says, I need more grace. I was like, what? And I finally got, and I mean, every time he saw, I need more grace. And finally, I just looked at him. I said, you know what? You need to read your Bible and realize that you don't need more grace. Okay, you need to walk worthy. And yet, that's, I listen to this. Well, I, I need a new car. Then go buy one. I mean, if God gets you a car, then that means it falls out of the sky, lands in your driveway, and never needs anything done on it ever again, nor do you even have to put gas in it. Okay? Other than that, you probably ought to go buy one. All right? Part of the reason that I watch this is a Russian pastor told me this years ago, decades ago, actually. That in the United States, the church, the people have been inoculated against the gospel. I thought, oh, I had to get my little thing, inoculated, inoculated, what does that mean? Uh, then I thought, oh, we got a shot. I have a vaccination against the gospel. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? We have been. We have been. All we hear is about grace. Okay? And when we're saved, the question is, how do you know you're saved? Well, I said a prayer. Well, can you tell me exactly where at in the Bible it says, you say this prayer and you shall be saved? Same what it says. And, of course, that stirs up some stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul starts out here in chapter 2 with, is that I want you to understand what salvation is. And it's foundational. And yet, you know what? How many have no idea what it is? You know, And I've shared this with you multiple times. You ask a Christian, how, what were you saved from? And... 11 out of 10 are going to say hell. I was saved from hell. And that is not the reason. That is not what you were saved from. You were saved from your sin. The penalty of your sin was hell. But the cause of hell is sin. And if you don't get that issue dealt with, guess what? It don't really matter. So, we've been going through your, look at your outline. You said, salvation is from sin. Why? We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Every single one of us was. We were following the ways of the world. We were following the prince of the air. And we were happy about it. Because you know what? A dead man don't know any different. That's why Paul uses the term. Secondly, we were salvation is by God's love. God's love. Verse 4. God rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Because of God's love, he rained down his rich mercy to save dead people. But salvation was also, we looked last week, is into life. Is into life. All right? We are now alive in Christ. 
the quote that R.C. Sproul had that we put in your bulletin is that now that you are a slave, that's the only way you know freedom. I have a greater freedom right now than I've ever had. Now listen, when I was 19 and 20 years old and 21 years old, okay, that, that was a few years ago. All right. I was making about 150 to $200,000 a year cash. Okay. And I could go and do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it with whomever I chose to do it with. People would say, well, that's freedom. No, I was a slave. And I did not have freedom. I have greater freedom now than I have ever had, which brings me to the purpose in six and seven. He raised us up with him. Now, you know, I read this. Now, you got to also understand that I've been reading this for for some time. I've also been tearing this thing apart for some time. You guys don't get to you read through it. Maybe I hope you're reading it. And you read it and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Verse six and seven, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse six, when God raised us from the dead. You know what? He didn't leave you in the cemetery. Okay. Remember when Jesus called Lazarus from the grave? And everybody's like, oh, wow. Right? What was the first thing he said to do? Get him out of them clothes. Cut him loose. Why? Do you realize how hard it is to be a live person in grave clothes? And yet, when he raised us from the dead spiritually because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to get out of our grave clothes. You can't be dressed like that and go out in public. I sound like a parent, don't I? You cannot live dressed like that. You cannot be alive in Christ dressed like that. When Jesus raised you from the dead, it wasn't to let you wander around in the cemetery in grave clothes. Listen. I think about the spiritual resurrection of believers. And I don't really know if there's another miracle that can compare to it. I'm now alive to God. I have peace with God. Therefore, I have the peace of God. But I read this verse 6 and it says... There's another miracle that happened at the same instant. You know what it was? It's called the miracle of ascension and exaltation. 
When you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, like Paul told the Colossians, what should be seen? Christ. Christ. Do you realize that at the moment of your salvation, you received a seat in heavenlies? Listen, God gives us one illustration of his power when he raised Jesus from the grave and exalted him to his right hand. All right? That's God's power. That's powerful. But he gives you another illustration, you and I. He raised us, you and I, and exalted us where? To the right hand in the heavenlies. Do you understand that? Do you understand that right now, if you're a true believer, if you're a true believer, you already are exalted in the heavenlies. Right now. Let me show you something that's interesting here. See the word seated and the word raised. He raised us up in him and seated us with him. You know what's amazing about those two words, raised and seated? Past tense. He is not raising us. He is not preparing to seat us. It's already done. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. 320. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. I was traveling internationally. You have to carry your... Uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird. You and I, we, we carry around our driver's license for assorted things like speeding tickets and, and stuff like that. Okay, but you have a driver's license and it's your ID. Okay, you know that is absolutely useless once you get out of the United States. It doesn't accomplish nothing. So you have to walk around with a passport. And it's got this thing in it that's got a band that reads across it. And everybody's got a scanner, evidently. And they can scan that thing and say, yep, this is who it says it is and da-da-da, all the rest of it. Why? It says, I am a citizen of where? United States. Okay? Do you realize that as a Christian you are a citizen of heaven? Do you understand that when he says... You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. But do you know that I don't do that now? You don't do that now because you have a different citizenship. You are no longer of this world. You have been transformed out of this world. You right now are possessors of eternal life. If you're truly saved. Listen, we just happen to be walking around in a dead world. I mean, that's right. You know, I, I think about Lazarus coming out of the grave. Get him out of them grave clothes. 
Well, I, you know, and I, I, I'd have thought, well, if I'd have been standing there and been involved with this, and that's our biggest problem. You just raised him out of the grave. And remember, well, if you roll the stone back, it's going to stink. And nobody wants to remember their loved one as pew. All right? They didn't want to do that. And all of a sudden, they roll a stone and he comes strolling out. Get him out of them grave clothes. And I'm sitting there going, you just raised him from the dead. We were expecting to smell him. And there he stood. Get him out of them grave clothes. Why? He's clothed completely different. We are the very opposite of being dead. We are alive In this world, our life is in heaven, hid with Christ in God. But I'm still cruising through this place. Why? I thought you would never ask. I'm here about my father's work. Remember? Romans 5. We have the adoptions that we can now call him what? Papa, so I'm here about my father's work. I'm here in this dead world doing what my father wants. He did not raise us up to leave us in the graveyard. He exalts us. You are a believer today. You are exalted in heaven. You as a believer today are hidden in Christ. When you are looked at by God the Father in the power of His Spirit, they see Christ. He took us up into the heavenlies. Remember? You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. You're not in the process of being blessed. You have already been blessed. Okay. What does it mean to be in the heavenlies? I thought you would never ask. My mind exists in God's domain. Okay. Not. My body's not allowed in. But my spirit, my thinking, my conscience, everything that is in me that makes me who I am is not this earthly container. It's the inner man. That one is in the heavenlies. When you look at things, when you experience things, when you hear things, when you endure things, when you walk through things, you can always have a focus that is in heaven. That's why we're saying, seek ye first. Be heavenly minded to accomplish temporal problems. Our minds exist in God's domain. Let me see if I can help you with this. All of my blessings are there. In the presence of my father. That is where I talk to the Lord. There is where I talk to the father. There is where I talk to the Holy Spirit. You know what? As I go through this and I think, all right, I have been already raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think about the Apostle Paul being there. 
and Peter, John, Matthew, all of those who have gone before us, all of those people, your loved ones who knew Christ, who have died before you. That's where they're at. That's where all your blessings are. Where moth and rust and thief cannot touch them. To be with Him. You know, I, I watch people talk about their homes. My home is in heaven. I wonder if it's got a doormat, floor mat thing right there to pearly gate. Welcome home. I don't know. And you know what? I live in a house. Absolutely. Most of us here do. Or a cardboard box or something. But you know what? It's temporary. It's temporary. If you don't believe me, wait till spring hailstorms come. To be with Him, that is my home. Do you understand? All of my commands come down from there. All of my service goes up to there. All of my sacrifices are offered there. That is my world. That is where my conscience is. So He not only raised us from the dead, but He raised us to His right hand in Christ Jesus. So I read this verse. I get up from my desk and I wander around thinking, why in the world would God want to do this? thought you'd never ask. That's why there's verse 6 is followed by verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Immediately after you were saved. Okay. He speaks of the ages to come. The ages to come, he wants to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards all those who will ever be redeemed or who have ever been redeemed. That's why he did it. Let me show you the riches of my grace. And you know what? It's all through Christ Jesus. This is why when I see people getting into works theology, how awful that is. That is disgusting. You had nothing to do with it. We already looked at it in chapter 1. This was the Godhead's master plan. Why? So he could show the exceeding riches of his grace. That's why he did it. Why would God save you in order that he would be kind to you forever? That's why he saved us. So he can pour his kindness on us for eternity. 
an interesting concept if you think about it. I don't deserve it. On a good day, I don't deserve it. But you know what's really cool about it? Neither do none of you. (laughs) I'm not in this thing alone. None of us deserve it. But remember we always to say, God is love. Okay? And we'll go to 1 Corinthians 13. It is also love is kind. And if it is kind and God is love, then love is gracious. If God is love, His love wants to be kind and gracious. Almost sounds like a math problem, doesn't it? This was the purpose, beloved. So He could lavish His kindness on you for eternity. It gets better. You were saved not just to keep you out of hell, primarily so God could shower His grace and shower His blessings on you for eternity. He wants, He saves us because He wants to shower His riches on us. This conversation came up this week. Someone will come and say, See, when you get saved, you don't really get anything at first. You kind of have to go through Bible schools. You have to go through the scripture studies. You need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to learn a bunch of stuff. Okay? Listen, the people who tell me that, and I said this to an individual this week. I probably won't see them again. You're denying the whole point of salvation. You just denied salvation. It's the whole purpose and the whole point of salvation is so that God can begin lavishing His riches of kindness, grace, and love on you. That's why you were saved. From the moment you were saved, for the rest of the ages throughout eternity, He is unloading on you and I the riches of His grace. So when the young man comes up to me and says, just pray, I need more grace. What? Get saved. Listen, it's all ours now. He doesn't withhold anything now. There is nothing withheld at all. God gives everything through Christ Jesus. Adoption as sons. Think about that. I'm adopted as a son. What does that mean? You're with Christ. It's wondrous. And yet I look at some of us and we're going, Gosh, I just don't. Really? God's loving kindness, mercy, and grace that He's lavished upon us isn't enough for you. Oh, shucks. Listen, this is so amazing. I, I, I don't really have the words to express to you. So I'll let Paul do it. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
Listen, when he gets done and begins the pouring of all of his grace on you, guess what? All the saints will see it. That would be the ecclesias, the church. And what is that other thing? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What the heck is that? That's easy. Cherub, seraphim, archangels, all them peoples, them things, them creatures, them things. Why? All the church will see the lavishness of his grace, his riches and kindness and love and mercy. And then he lifts you up and says to the angels, check that out. How awesome of a God do you, angelic host, truly serve? He holds us up and shows us off to the angels. He says to them, Do you see what a wonderful, gracious God I am? Look, they were dead in trespass and sin. Now I've exalted them above you. All the angels break out in the hallelujah chorus. And in the end, he gets every ounce of the glory. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. Listen, brothers and sisters, do not ever think you do not have any resources. If you're the one who saved yourselves, then you're lacking resources. But God saved you. And I would ask one silly question. What is God lacking in resource? For the very purpose of unloading on each one of us every rich Kind, gracious thing conceivable to the mind of God. So that you might be so filled with his riches and filled with his kindness and filled with his grace that you can be held up to the angels and they can praise him for being a loving, gracious, kind and wise God. So his own glory is the issue. His own glory is at stake. By the way, footnote. He will never diminish his own glory. I'll let you digest that. Therefore, he gets the glory by pouring out his grace, his kindness, and the riches of his existence on each and every one of his children. He did it, past tense. He's doing it right now. And at some point, I get to get out of this clay pot and listen to the angels sing praises unto my Redeemer for how awesome I look. God did it.
God is doing it. So, you're alive in Christ. Hallelujah. Salvation is from sin. Salvation is by love. Salvation is into life. And salvation is with a purpose. Next week, verse 8. Salvation is through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have lavished on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Through the miracle of your kindness, your love, your grace, your mercy. And Father, your mind who searches all things and knows all things has lavished on every one of us who are your beloved children the riches of your existence. Father, let that never go far from our little pea brains that we may be overwhelmed. Thank you, my King, for the amazing things that you have done. Father, for the amazing things that you are doing. But Father, let us stand boldly and confident in what you shall accomplish to the end. That for all of the ages, all of the ages, might show the surpassing riches of your grace and kindness towards us through our precious Savior, Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.